Today's episode of the Total Soccer Show is brought to you by Robinhood. With Robinhood, you can invest in stocks, options, and ETFs right from your phone. You can even spend and earn interest on uninvested cash. And with fractional shares, you can buy stocks in any amount, including companies like Apple, Amazon, and Tesla, for as little as $1. And that's with no commission fees or account minimums. So whether you're new to investing and ready to learn or just looking for a better experience, stop waiting and join the 10 million Robinhood users. Listeners can get started with a free stock by going to totalsoccer.robinhood.com. That's totalsoccer.robinhood.com. Uh, reminder, all investments involve risk. This is not an investment advice, a recommendation, or a solicitation of any security. Other fees may apply. Visit rbnhd.co slash fees, rbnhd.co slash fees. The free stock program is subject to certain limitations. Annual percentage yield, APY, on uninvested cash is paid by program banks and is variable. Robinhood Financial is not a bank. Thank you very much to Robinhood for sponsoring today's episode. Now, on with the show. And welcome to the Total Soccer Show Weekend Review Edition. My name is Taylor Rockwell. I'm joined, as ever, by my co-host in North Carolina. It's Ryan Bailey. Hello, Ryan. Hello, hello, hello. And today, joining us, we've got a new face to the Total Soccer Show, <laughs> at least on Mondays. It's Daryl Grow. Hello, Daryl. Hello. Darryl. I'm coming in on my day off. You are indeed. You're in Richmond. You're not in Charlotte. You have, you've made it all the way to our office in Richmond, and yep. I commend you for that. We are very much a Southeast United States show. Yeah, we are. <laughs> Daryl and I were on a call last week, Ryan, with a guy who uh, I think trying to make small talk uh, mentioned that he, I think, had been to North Carolina once. And it was like, yeah, that's the same area, I guess. Sure. Why not? So, uh, Ryan, I just want you to know that we're all from the same area, even if you and Daryl have different accents. Uh, is this a bit like when people ask me if I know the Queen? Is it that kind of <laughs> regional thing? I've never, I've never asked you. Do you know the Queen? Yeah, of course I know the Queen. Really? Yeah. yeah. We Wait, know Daryl too? You this guys is did... how I met Ryan. It was a royal, royal event. <laughs> you call her Lizzie, right? Is yeah. that how it works? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> did we meet like, Walter hey, Express hey, that time, Daryl? Yeah. <laughs> I was like, hey, Harry, Meg, you should probably probably uh, come back to North America. So this is my question. I went to The Guardian last night to do just sort of catch up reading, see if there were any stories I missed. The front page. It's all royal news. Yeah. How, are you all feeling concerned about the state of your, your royalty, the, I'm all the entire prestige of it all? I'm all in on people being able to do what they want with their lives. All right. Yeah. Ryan, agree? Disagree? I don't think you, people you should think... be dictated to and be told what to do by an ancient order. <laughs> Ryan, a traditionalist. Daryl, uh, I guess, is betraying his friendship with Lizzie? She, she knows what's She knows. She knows. Okay. Yeah, fine. she knows the well, score. By the way, I would like to apologize for my sound quality if it's any different today. I have builders in my studio right now, and um, I've located to a different cut part of the building. So if you hear any drilling or uh, sounds of uh, men screaming because they've cut parts of their bodies off, just um, just ignore that. I'll keep talking, okay? <laughs> Dramatic. Um, also, Ryan, really, you're not doing much to dissuade me of the notion that you do actually know the Queen when you're you, when you're describing your home as this like palatial estate with different areas, and you have workers coming and going at all hours. It, it's very formal over there. Well, the, it seems. the builders are in the other wing right now, so that's fine. <laughs> but I, I will actually tell you, in all honesty, my mum FaceTimed me last week because she has an invite to a Buckingham Palace garden party. There we go. <laughs> that's a true thing that's happened. There we go. <laughs> all right. Well, speaking of England, let's talk about some Premier League games. The the big one from the weekend, Tottenham nil, Liverpool won. Daryl, I want to ask you, what do you think Spurs were trying to do in this game? And what do you think Liverpool did to handle what Spurs were trying to do in this game? So Jose Mourinho had a plan. Mm-hmm. Um, Jose Mourinho had a plan, um, especially in the first half, to sit deepish. Four four one one. I'm going to call it. Jose Mourinho wanted to sit deep. He did. The devil you said. Especially because he's got no Harry Kane, mm-hmm. right? So he's gone Son and Lucas Moura up front. And his plan was let Liverpool come at us, sit deep, put our two best passes in central midfield. That's why it looked weird, right? But Ericsson mm-hmm. and Winks were the two central midfielders. And you notice every time Spurs got the ball, they tried to just hit long-ish balls for Son and Moura mm-hmm. to run onto. So the plan was let Liverpool come forward, hit that space on the counter-attack, and Liverpool ate it up. Like We talked about this not long ago, right, on the Total Soccer Show. Why can't teams counterattack Liverpool? Yep. This game was the example of it. Every time Ericsson or Winks or anyone else tried a ball in behind for Son or Mora or Deli Ali to chase, 
Virgil van Dijk swept it up. Joe Gomez swept it up. Alexander Arnold or Andy Robertson swept it up. You cannot counterattack this team. We're getting to a point where I'm looking forward to seeing if any team can figure out how to get at Liverpool. Well, so Spurs had their way of trying to, which seems to have been sit deep and hold on and then hope that you're fast enough. Is that roughly it? Basically, yeah. But it's it's kind of a sound idea, Mm -hmm. right? As if they're going to come forward, we think we can get in behind you. And especially all our forwards are fast because there's no more Harry Kane. We're relying on speed. It just turned out that Liverpool were more than, more than ready for it. And Ryan, we've talked in the past about Jose Mourinho's approach of sort of like be very defensive and then sort of hope that your offense like connects and finds a way through. That's a bit of a like maybe oversimplification of what Mourinho does from an attacking standpoint. But did you feel like Tottenham were well set up for this game? Do you feel like they had a kind of balanced game plan going in? I think it was, it was kind of lose-lose for Tottenham here. As we say, they did set up pretty deep for most of the game. They kind of went a bit more for it in the last 20 minutes. And there was people saying, oh, why couldn't they have done that for the whole game? But if they had have done, Liverpool would have probably got that second goal and killed the game much earlier on. Yeah. And I think, you know, there, there was some bus parking going on here. But you could see what Mourinho was trying to do, as Daryl was saying. And in terms of defensiveness, it did seem like they were trying to limit Liverpool's wide play and they, they tried to, you know, they, they threw everything at them to try and do that. They tried to slow the game down. They tried to limit the counters a little bit. But even when they tried to stop things going wide, it seemed like Liverpool were just really creative through the middle. So there was nothing they could do because Liverpool, Liverpool. Yeah, I mean, and I think in this case, Liverpool were Liverpool in that they adjusted pretty wisely because occasionally we see Mohamed Salah Sajamani very wide, trying yeah. to spread that back four as much as they can. Here, for large stretches of the game, I noticed those that front three playing pretty narrow, which I think pulled that Tottenham back four in together and kind of tried to like cram numbers in the middle. But then that did open up that space out wide, and when Tottenham would try to pull people back or stretch out a little bit more, then it opened up in the middle. And so I felt like Liverpool were doing a really good job of exploiting centrally when they wanted to, but then moving wide to kind of pull Tottenham wide, and then they could attack through the middle again. It was a good variety of attacks from Liverpool, in my opinion. I think Mourinho had a good plan in Mm -hmm. central midfield. Um, I looked at this very closely. He had Dele Alli sit on Jordan Henderson. He had Christian Eriksen sit on Giorgio Wijnaldum. And he had, who's left over, Winks uh, sit on Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain. How could you sit on Christian Eriksen? He's so mobile and tries so hard. (laughs) I have thoughts. (laughs) I have thoughts. No, Eriksen was sitting um, on uh, Giorgio Ah, Wijnaldum. They all had... All of Spurs midfielders had uh, a defensive marking job, mm-hmm. and they actually did a decent job of it. But those guys keep moving, right? <laughs> and the problem is, like, uh, Firmino will come deep, and then say Giorgio Wijnaldum will go like in in behind, and suddenly it gets harder to to track your men. So even though Spurs had this pretty smart setup of taking care of Liverpool midfielders, the movement was just too good mm-hmm. to uh, to track them the whole time. And and I should say, since you've mentioned Roberto Firmino, uh, I'm, I'm starting a new a new feature on this show. It's the Jurgen Klopp Hug Recipient of the Week for the <laughs> player who gets the most aggressive uh, hug at the end of the game from Jurgen Klopp. This week it was Roberto Firmino. I think not just for the <laughs> Did goal. Did you measure every hug? It's just every week now it seems like there's a player who gets really aggressively yeah. hugged. And he varies the hugs. Sometimes it's almost a little bit of a choke from behind. Uh-huh. Sometimes it, it's uh, front to front. Jurgen Klopp, <laughs> he's a man who likes hugs. A choke from and behind? It, <laughs> well, it was like he came up and tried to hug. I think he hugged Firmino like from behind, so his chest was in Firmino's back. But when he went to hug, it sort of the hand slid up, and for a moment it looked like he was trying to like overhug and maybe pop uh, Roberto Firmino's head off, which is not what you want to do. I think when you're hugging, it's not the best way to be. Genuine. Imagine if that's the reason Liverpool didn't win the title this year. <laughs> that would be worse than the Gerard slip. Is that Klopp popped Firmino's head off? It'd be more dramatic for sure. A lot of pressure on Minamino if that happens. <laughs> Um, a lot of pressure on uh, Firmino's arteries. Exactly. <laughs> um, I was really impressed, uh, as I tend to be, by Roberto Firmino in this game, just because he did what we've come to expect from from Roberto Firmino. He he makes runs when he needs to. He drops in deep when he needs to. He leads the line when he wants to. He'll kind of do the Suarez thing and stand offside to see if he can stretch the defense that way. Yeah. And then in, for the goal itself, I thought it was... A great finish, obviously. He kind of opens up and then buries it back, like, far side netting. But the way he opens up that... I think Tottenham all think like, oh, he's going to cut back inside and get that shot off. And he just sort of shapes like he's going to do that, opens up last second, puts himself in a perfect shooting he position. He's defender, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I, I, I forgot, think... I've forgotten the young man's name. It's the centre-back that came Tanganga. in. And... Yeah, Tanganga. Yeah. So he really thought, I've, I've had a great yeah. game so far. Yep. I'm blocking this for me, no shot. And yeah. then, yeah, he, he sort of changes the angle of his hips and, and he's lost him. Yeah, and Tanganga, I, to your point, I think really thought he had it. He steps in like, haha, I have made this timely interception. Yeah. Wait, why isn't the ball here? Why is it in the back of the net? And I yeah. think that that is sort of what Roberto Firmino offers you, that yes, maybe there's going to be some moments when he could do better, should do better, should have scored. But in the end, he finds a way to make something happen. So I've got thumbs up to Roberto Firmino for the hug and for scoring the goal. <laughs> I, I totally agree with those thumbs up. And 
that was such a well-taken goal. She said that turn on Tandenga was brilliant. But also, that goal was a, a tale of right-backs, I'd say, because... Spurs played the uh, revolutionary two right-back system here with Serge Aurier and Tanganga both yeah. uh, on the field. And it was Aurier who I believe... Was it Aurier gave away the ball for the, for the throw or was it... Was it Sanchez? It was, you know, it was it was Aurier who it was Aurier. gave it away. But in in this is like a point of contention, I think, for Jose Mourinho is that yeah. it actually goes off. I think Sajo Mane on that one, so it should I have been a Tottenham throw. Yeah, it should have been a Spurs throw. Yeah, yeah. Which yeah. I, which is why Serge Aurier loses his mind for a moment, but mm-hmm. also it's a throw in. Those sometimes don't go your way. Yeah. I think slamming the ball into the ground as though you've just been <laughs> cursed by God is a bit of an overreaction from, but, from but Serge also, Aurier. And also with Tanganga, I, I, if you look the uh, the build up to the goal, he's kind of in no man's land before yeah. he picks Mino up as well. So I thought there's a bit of a, mm, not great from that, but he, uh, let's give credit to him because he was very good. He had that goal line clearance earlier as well. I thought mm-hmm. it was a very good performance for him for his first time out. I agree. And I actually really liked Serge Aurier as a kind of right midfielder, right winger. Yes. I did, I did like. It made sense, right? This is a Mourinho thing that makes sense. Don't let him it's defend the most Serge Mourinho Mane. Thing He's I can think of. probably going to get in trouble. Yeah. We want pace out wide as part of this counter attacking thing. Serge Aurier can attack and provide some threat. Certainly. It's a good idea. I mean, he's the one who plays that ball in in the, in the, at like the dying moments for uh, Lo Celso, who, yeah. who hits wide. We can talk about that if we want. But that delivery was excellent. I do sort of feel for Jose Mourinho because I like to think that he was like, look, Serge Aurier always costs us at least one one calamitous moment if I move him further forward at least that calamitous moment won't come in defense and lead to a goal yeah. and then the throw in happens and things end as they That's do harsh <laughs> to it is it is I actually one more thing on the goal what I want got? to give a thumbs up to Chris Wilder Sheffield right. United manager for identifying one of the things Liverpool do so well um, do you remember last week after Liverpool beat Sheffield United um, he basically said that you can talk about tactics and mm-hmm. coaching and technique and all that but here's the Chris Wilder quote they won every first ball every second ball dropped on every second ball ran forward and ran back and they did that miles better than us which is a great <laughs> great quote yeah. but I think it's also really illustrative um, of why Liverpool got this goal right because mm-hmm. it's that throw in and the, the ball is um, slightly ahead of Firmino it's, he's got no chance of winning it but he kind of throws his legs at it anyway which causes the ball to sort of pop loose then Jordan Henderson it's all against him right it's like 30-70 or 40-60 against him mm-hmm. winning that loose ball yep. but he just charges through and puts his head yeah. through it and gets to it somehow then Mohamed Salah like holds off a defender and manages to flick it out wide and then Firmino just adds a little bit of touch of class on top of that but the first 50% of that goal is just Liverpool being slightly more determined than Tottenham. And I'm not even saying Tottenham were like shrinking violets. It's just Liverpool were, were all out after it. Mm-hmm. Do, you, do you feel like sometimes we, like I think Ryan, Ryan and I on occasion have had that conversation about how Liverpool don't maybe play the best soccer at times, but they're able to find a way to win. They have those games when it doesn't seem like it's going to go their way and yeah. then it does. Do you feel like that is a narrative that gets like blown up a little bit just because Liverpool have been so consistently good that when they're maybe down 1%, it feels yeah. like it's really noticeable even though they're still 99% like, yeah. thriving. And I don't think it's wrong to say that a team mm-hmm. finds a way to win, but I always think it's more helpful to ask, okay, but how what did was they, the way they what found, was a way the way they found <laughs> to win? And I honestly think Chris Wilder has done us um, all an analytical service by just yeah. pinpointing something really simple that they're like super aggressive and super on it all the time. Yeah, they definitely are. With, with Salah as well in the build-up to that goal, how strong was he? You forget how strong he is because he, he's not yeah. the tallest and biggest guy, but the way he muscled through there was really, really impressive. And if we're going to talk about Liverpool having desire, can we give a thumbs down to the one player on the field who had the opposite of that? Um, I mean, I think he's already been mentioned. Go ahead and give those thumbs. So... My, my favourite Reddit comment of the weekend was Christian Eriksen's performance was the equivalent of what Michael Serra's character does in Superbad when he's just drilling holes in the woodworking class because it's the last two weeks of school. <laughs> I, I disagree with that Reddit comment. All right. I think Christian Eriksen was doing the tactical job that Jose Mourinho asked him to do. So right. I track this. He did mm-hmm. follow Giorgio Wijnaldum everywhere. It's just that that's not a very flashy or exciting thing to be doing, right? You're not going to get many thumbs up from Reddit for that. Maybe the more tactical parts of, of Reddit. Mm-hmm. And then he was trying to do what Mourinho had asked of him, which was to hit those counter-attack balls. I think, honestly, even though he's almost certainly moving, right? There was a rumour this morning that he's uh, talking to mm-hmm. Inter. Inter, yeah. Um, I, and I think uh, someone asked Mourinho and he said, yeah, do I think this is the best ever Christian Eriksen? I can't say that it is, but he's out there and he's doing a job for us. I think he was just doing what Mourinho asked him to do. And it's just not the classic Christian Eriksen that was when Spurs were flying. You know what I'm saying? So I think it's yeah. harsh to question his effort like he's some sort of uh, Danish Mesut Ozil. So you're saying <laughs> you think it's his defensive duties he's leaving up to, but maybe not the offensive duties? 
Yeah, and because there's only so many opportunities to to showcase that when you're like at the top of your own box chasing after Jojo and Holden. I, I would split the difference, and I would say that I think because he has not at times this season looked like he's this high-performing Christian Eriksen that we've seen in the past, when you see him doing the defensive job, Daryl, yeah, I think like he's doing what's being asked of him. And so maybe there's a little bit of leeway there, except that I did see on a number of occasions like the first two good chances for Liverpool come from Christian Eriksen just switching off for like a half second to a second where he doesn't track a run or there's one moment when he thinks he's cut off a passing option and then I think it's going inside to Mohamed Salah yeah. and he sort of is standing there and then realizes like, oh no, Salah has moved and I'm yeah, now yeah. five yards out of position and then he would try to correct. But I'm not those saying, little switches off is I'm not I'm saying he's about. a good defensive midfielder. <laughs> there we go. He's not the new Makalele. <laughs> right. I'll say that. Yeah. And so I guess what I mean is that like because he's being he's doing a new thing, yeah. he's I think trying to figure it out and were he the sort of top performing Christian Eriksen he's been in the past, yeah. it would be much more commendable as like, oh look, he's trying to do something different. He's trying to adjust his game but because of the way it's been this right. season, it then looks more like, oh, now he's just being defensive. Even yeah. then, he's not working so this, necessarily that this hard. This performance is in the context of a yes. disappointing season. Yes, right? I think yeah. so. So with that in mind, Ryan, uh, Daryl and I have talked a lot about oh, transfers. Sorry, mm-hmm. I just realized the correct metaphor is, would be as if the teacher had asked Michael Sarah to drill those holes. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> even though it didn't seem like a good idea. <laughs> Thank you for your clarification. I'll send your script right to Judd Apatow. Uh, but before I do that, Ryan, uh, Daryl and I have talked a lot about players uh, who could be signed, who should be signed, uh, looking specifically at Tottenham on a number of occasions. For you, is there a player that you think Jose Mourinho should bring in to really strengthen this team and kind of put his stamp on the team? And vice versa, is there a player you think he should sell and why is it Christian Eriksen? I think it is Christian Eriksen because he wants to go and he's a shadow of the man he was. I can see that he was mm-hmm. trying to do a job here, but you've got to, as you say, put it in a context context of Christian Eriksen in general. So yeah, I think um, that one is the outgoing player of choice. As for incoming, I mean, it's, it's the right back position, isn't it? Surely. I mean, what yes. about someone like Semedo at Barcelona? He could do a job, couldn't he? I mean, that, that would work. And I think Barcelona have enough flux going on there. We'll talk about Barcelona in a bit that maybe they wouldn't even notice if, if you went in and just signed Nelson Semedo <laughs> right out from under them. I think that's the way you could go right now with all the managerial turmoil. Just give them a contract and get someone at Barcelona to sign off. I like this plan, Ryan. I'm sure that's what you're advocating for. That's definitely it, yeah. But then again, Tanganga did a good job. Maybe they're training him up for it. Who knows? I, I do I do love whenever a center back goes in to play fullback. I feel like it yeah. annoys Daryl Grove a lot. It actually, it's, it's a bit of a Joe Gomez situation. Mm-hmm. Remember Joe Gomez yeah. started out at Liverpool as a right back because center back was occupied and did a perfectly fine job for a good half a season or so. Mm-hmm. I think that might be what we see with Tanganga is he'll play right back for a little bit, especially while they're They've got no one else. Yeah. Um, and then eventually he'll move on to centre-back and he'll probably have the career that we all thought Cameron Carter-Vickers would have. <laughs> hey, he still could. You don't know. He's young. We'll see what happens. Mm-hmm. He probably won't be that. Um, I don't have anything else to talk about when it comes to Tottenham, Liverpool. Daryl Ryan, anything else you'd like to add before uh, Liverpool we move on? quite good. Liverpool are quite good. <laughs> Ryan, do you feel like there's a chance they win the title this season? I, I, I've got to say, I, I've got a good feeling about it. All right, you heard it here first. As but long as Klopp doesn't hug Firmino too tightly. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah no, no head popping. Hopefully. By the way, do you, are you saying no, are you, you're categorizing the, hub, uh, the the hugs as aggressive? Is, that, I, is I, aggressive I think, the right word? I, I I think he lets you know that you're being hugged. Yeah, it's like John John Malkovich with the rabbits. <laughs> You are all about some deep cuts today. I think the the super bad one was Ryan, but I appreciate both of them. I should add, I also appreciate that Ryan could be here in studio, but he instead prefers to record from his bunker because he is concerned with privacy. And if you too are concerned with privacy, then today's sponsor is for you. It is our friends at ExpressVPN. Uh, They make hiding your IP address uh, very, very simple. They let you control where you want sites to think you're located. You can choose from almost 100 different countries. So just think about all the Netflix libraries you can go through. Definitely. Now, yeah, to break it down, it's a VPN service. So it hides your IP address and lets you control where you want sites to think you are located. Case in point there, you can watch your Netflix uh, library from a different country. When I was in Jamaica uh, last year, they had all of Billions on Netflix. And I took advantage of that, didn't I? Oh, I certainly did. And you could do that too with ExpressVPN. I've been using it a lot recently, actually, uh, guys, On uh, over the festive period. I watched the um, British New Year, which is at 7pm Eastern. That's nice. Watch the fireworks <laughs> from London via via um, a certain service, which I definitely have a license for. And um, <laughs> I watched also Gavin and Stacey. Any Gavin and Stacey fans in this one? They had a Christmas special, which was good. I watched that on the hit too. I did the exact same thing. I watched the Gavin and Stacey Christmas special. Based on Taylor's face, I'm going to guess he's never seen an episode. It's one of those, it's one of those that you've tried to get me into yeah. before. I introduced my wife to it, mm-hmm. um, and she, she thought it was absolutely magnificent, despite not knowing who any of the characters were. Because it's like a 10 years later Christmas special, right? Yeah. She still thought it was um, absolutely fantastic. If yeah. I can guess two of the characters, do I not have to watch it? 
I mean, if you don't want to entertain yourself, go ahead. <laughs> I want to hear you guess these characters now. I'm going to guess it's Gavin and Stacey would be the two characters I can think exist in that show. Wrong. Those are pseudonyms. Ah, oh, I should have known. Uh, Daryl, so Ryan, <laughs> really. Ryan uses it for, for, for those purposes. Is there anything else that you tend to uh, utilize ExpressVPN for? Um, yeah, there's, there's a certain football show uh-huh. that's on BBC. Uh-huh. It's called Match of the Day. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I thought what? you were going to try to cover it by being like, game of today. <laughs> <laughs> but well done, sir. Yes, so you can use it for the BBC, for Hulu, for YouTube, you name it. There are, are hundreds of VPNs out there, but the reason I use ExpressVPN is that it's ridiculous fat, ridiculously fast. It does not slow down. Did you just call it fat? Uh, well, you know, sometimes, you know, it's uh, fat shaming, <laughs> I guess, is what I'm going for in this it's 2020, uh, come on. Yeah, I, meant, I meant to go with fast. Thank you, Daryl. Right. It's good to have you in studio. <laughs> um, if you want to visit our special link right now, go to expressvpn.com slash TSS. You can get an extra three months of ExpressVPN for free. You can support the show, watch what you want, and pr- protect yourself at, one more time, Ryan, that URL was? expressvpn.com slash TSS. <laughs> See, Ryan's on it. Sometimes I space out when Daryl asks me, and then he sure has to is. fill in that space. <laughs> Ryan never does. I enjoyed the timbre. Uh, yeah, the man can sing, Daryl. The man can <laughs> sing. Um, well, let's move to Crystal Palace one Arsenal, one. Uh, I don't really know who's happy you're here, though I'm guessing it's Crystal Palace, even though they continue to not win games. Daryl, this, for for you, at le- or for me at least, but maybe for you, was sort of the first time I've like really sat down and watched Arsenal under Mikel Arteta, which yeah. I enjoyed, even if I'm not an Arsenal fan. What do you feel like he's trying to do uh, with his short tenure at Arsenal? Um, I, th- I mean, he's trying not to have a short tenure, there you go, yeah. is, uh-huh. is one thing. <laughs> he short tenure, I should say. He has got Arsenal playing, or he's asking them to play, with a lot more intensity than they used to. And I've got to say, I, I thought it would be something different, but it is a very Guardiola-ish, mm-hmm. uh, Man City-ish, Cruyff-inspired-ish style, right? Mm-hmm. That is what he's asking them to do. And I actually think the uh, the goal, the Aubameyang goal, is a perfect example um, of what Arteta is trying to get Arsenal to do. Explain yourself. Um, so yeah, prepare my notes. I can walk us through it to, to illustrate if that helps. I will say another man who would love this goal is Greg Berhalter. Yes, he A lot would. of positional play in this goal. So, Crystal Palace. We've, we've seen all kinds of teams play Crystal Palace. They very often do that 4-5-1. They keep it nice and compact, and they'll maybe hit you on the break with Zaha or AU will hold it up and away we go, right? But they nice and compact and quite hard to break down. For this goal, this Aubameyang goal in the first half, you had Kolasinic, the left-back, all the way up on the left wing on the touchline, trying to spread them out. On the other side, you had uh, Pepe all the way up on the right wing, trying to spread them out. And then what's really important is what the other players do in relation to that. So one player who took advantage was Mesut Ozil, who wandered over um, next to the Crystal Palace left-back, whose name escapes me right now, Riedewald, Riedewald. He wandered over next to Riedewald. Riedewald is then thinking, OK, Pepe's out there, Mesut Ozil's here, what's a Riedewald to do? Mm-hmm. Um, and in the end, he kind of freezes. <laughs> that, do you think that's what he asked himself? Yeah, I think those were the, the mental things that turning checks out. In, that checks in, in his head. And then Ozil checks away from him, and he's completely open between the lines. He's found the space because he's confused Riedewald. Mm-hmm. And then that allows uh, Luis, it's David Luiz, who I know a lot of people of like to poke fun at, but he's great at finding those passes yep. um, into attackers. So he finds Ozil in a bit of space. Then Lacazette has, instead of just standing next to what Tompkins and Cahill, the Palace strikers, He's come deep so that he's right next to Ozil. Ozil receives the ball, lays it off to Lacazette. And then Aubameyang, who is, what, the left winger, because Kalasinic is on the left wing, he can drift inside and he can take the space that Lacazette has vacated and then be on the end of a Lacazette through ball. So it's all about, like, pin the, pin the, get wide to stretch them a little bit, then lots of movement in the middle, people vacating space, people filling that space with Lacazette and Aubameyang, and suddenly you're through on goal and it's 1-0 to the Arsenal. So, so not in a George Graham way. So if you were if you were pinpointing like one specific thing that you think people could look for from Arsenal, like in this goal or elsewhere, mm-hmm. what are the, the thing that you think is most kind of representative of Arsenal under Mikel Arteta right now? Um, stretching teams out by having uh, players pinned on each touchline so you can't stay compact and ignore them. And then having people um, move and vacate space and take the space and keep switching around, like rotating positions essentially to confuse uh, the opposition in the middle. All right. Now, but um, can I just say, by the way, mine, yeah. uh, that was an excellent analysis of that goal from Daryl. And my, my notes for that goal say, nice passing, Lacazette released the ball at the perfect time, simple finish. That's, that's that's the difference between you and I, Daryl. That's uh, you've gone into slightly more depth there. But if I, if I, well, you're not say, wrong though. You're not wrong. <laughs> I'm not wrong, I suppose. Well, in some ways, I suppose I'm wrong. But uh, it, the the thing that I thought really defined uh, the, the Arteta side here was it was Guardiola esque. But the Guardiola-esque mm-hmm. thing was the tactical fouling. There was a lot of breaking up play, mm. a lot of uh, cynicism, a lot of uh, stuff that Federico Valverde would be proud of. I thought. 
<laughs> who who does the tactical fouling for Arsenal then? Because for Man City it was famously Fernandinho, Fernandinho. and Man City were um, unstoppable. Is and it, it is insane to me that he can be famously the one who does the tactical fouling and yeah. yet like never gets sent off. Right? I don't know how that's Incredible. possible. Yeah, it's great. It's the greatest trick the devil ever. It's pulled. the Paul Scholes like it's adorable how he doesn't know how to tackle. He always just goes in two footed. What a what a ruffian! But who's who's Arsenal's version? Is it Arteta? Sorry, is it? Um, no, it could Arteta. be, be risky. It, that'd be risky, right? Yeah. If he ran on and slid. Is it Shaka? Is it Torreira? Who's doing it? Yeah, it was it was your, it was your middle two basically, wasn't it? Yeah. I, mean, that, that, I think you've got your answer there. All right, then, yeah. Is Gendouzi p- decent at the tactical fouling? Because I feel like when I see him oh, commit those know. fouls, it's it's pretty aggressive in the foul, less so subtle. Yeah, he's okay, I think. I mean, they, they all did a fairly decent job of it, but it's it's just so cynical, isn't it? <laughs> it is. I, I, but I, I appreciate that in all of the modern cynicism when it comes to global soccer, we still have David Luiz to entertain and uh, like lighten the world. <laughs> uh-huh. Because I, I really want to say thumbs up to David Luiz for just being a constant source of entertainment. You mean like those great passes that he put into Ozil to start the move for the goal? Genuinely, yes. All I right. genuinely mean that. That like he so has just, those moments. We're not just mocking Luiz here. No, I'm not. That like he has these moments where it is like, yeah, see, he can do it. And he is he's good on the ball. He can obviously hit a free kick. But in that goal, he carries it forward. He pulls people in. He makes a smart pass. Which is an Arteta request, right? We yep. talked about this on uh, the earlier show mm-hmm. today. Yep. That one of the things Arteta was requesting of his defenders is to not release the ball until you've engaged an opponent. Right. And uh, Luis did that definitely. Right. But then when the opponent got very engaged, because I do also think that Crystal Palace were a little bit like haphazard in when they would step, when they would try to put people under pressure. I think for the second half, Roy Hodgson established a higher line of confrontation yes. and pushed those numbers further forward. Because they won't know down, right? Arsenal mostly adjusted. The only player I didn't see do that was David Luiz, who continued <laughs> to sort of like try little like hip fakes when he would receive the ball and like occasionally would pop the ball up for no reason. And that's when it started to then force himself under pressure. Like he didn't really need to do any of that, but instead would take a couple too, too many touches. Yeah. and then would come into pressure and then give the ball away and then it was the sort of calamitous David Luiz this that we've a, come to expect a bit more. So this is a case of a player doing what he's been asked to do yes. so that technically Arteta couldn't complain yeah. but still slightly doing it wrong. Yes. I think my, t- my take on this Arteta team is they have improved. I think there's lots mm-hmm. of nice passing going on. There, There is the Pep style cynical fouling well, which kind of has improved things. But the issue is this is just an average squad and it's got very little depth. I think that's the issue that Arsenal are playing with here. And you look at the defence, players like Luis, like Socrates, like Mustafi, 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 Ooh, interesting <laughs> pronunciation. They're always going to um, uh, sort of give away soft goals like this, I think. And, you know, th- th- there's just not a lot of depth going through the field. Here's, here's an experiment for you guys. The three teams above Arsenal, well, pa- Palace are above Arsenal as well, but the three teams above them, Spurs, Wolves and Sheffield United. Combine a team with those teams and Arsenal, and how many Arsenal players get in those teams? That team. I mean, I feel like the fr- like the attack of Maybe, Arsenal yeah, is pretty yeah. strong. Like, I feel like Aubameyang would probably make most Premier League teams. Yeah. Pepe seems to have rediscovered some form w- since Arteta has come in, and he's actually been on the field. That tends to help with players getting minutes. Uh, but yeah, I feel like Aubameyang is probably the number one player that I would say with comfort. After that, it gets a little shakier. I think I'd pick all Wolves players. <laughs> yeah, I figured, I, figured you might, I figured you might. And I I'll give a note, um, can I also give a note on Pepe here? Because it just seemed like there was a lot of moments in this game where he was quite low on confidence still. Yes. There was a, a moment towards the end where there was a sort of diagonal ball came over to him. And he, rather than sort of trapping it down in front of him and taking on the defender, he let it go behind him and he had to twist round to get to it. And he, and then he, um, he, he did actually get to it. And he had the opportunity to pass the ball forward to Xhaka, who was making a run into the box. And he didn't complete that pass mm-hmm. either. And it just felt like, you know, he had some good moments. He did hit the post uh, later on as well, didn't he? But he was wide open, had loads of time to maybe put it uh, on target as well. And it, it, there was just little, some little moments where I thought, Pepe, I mean, this isn't news that he's not had a fantastic season, but it also felt like a confidence issue. Yeah, but, but I do think that like once he starts getting or continues to get those regular appearances, those regular starts under Mikel Arteta that he did not get under Unai Emery, mm-hmm. I think like a, a goal here, an assist there, and I think he probably rounds himself right into some solid form at a time when Arsenal probably need him to do so. And yeah. I hope he does because he's fun to watch, right? If Pepe's, Almost dribbling, as fun if as Pepe's dribbling at people, I'm, I'm enjoying what's on my television. Unless they're dribbling at Wolves defenders, I would guess. Yeah, well, yeah. then Traore's dri- dribbling back at you. <laughs> True. Uh, Ryan, you mentioned Palace uh, being fairly high up on the table. Uh, they, it's a strange situation because I keep wanting to think that – I don't know why I want to think this, but I keep assuming they're kind of in crisis because their record as of late, one win in their last seven Premier League games, they've been knocked out of the FA Cup, yet they're still ninth and they're not in any way threatened by relegation, at yeah. least not right now. So where do you all think – like what is a successful season for them at the end of the year? Is it just sort of staying mid-table, continuing to exist in the Premier League and maybe building like 
surplus, uh, I guess surplus to be able to buy players to strengthen and move up the table next year? Do you think they should push on given some of the weakness of teams in the league? What can they do to have a strong season? I think you put them in that kind of Newcastle bracket. No offense to uh, Crystal Palace fans, but in terms of mid-table finish being the aim and the goal, you know, you can't really get much higher than that and you don't want to get any lower than that. And I think, you know, we talk about maybe not, I don't think they're in crisis. I think they've lost one league game since Thanksgiving. That's not Mm -hmm. terrible. And they're no, so not. well organized. They've had a lot of draws lately, a lot of one-one draws. But they're still a very good team. They're very well organized. They're very well drilled, aren't they? I mean, you, you could, you know, there's there's lots of positives they've got going on. And there's lots of bits of cleverness to yep. Crystal Palace, right? So there's Wilfred Zahar doing his thing down the left or up front, depending on who they're playing. Um, but also, if you think about the goal, I don't know if you guys saw this, but it was a trick-free kick that forced Arsenal to concede. Talk us through it. I, so, didn't, I didn't notice this. So, uh, are you Jordan? Are you? Yeah, Jordan. Are you wins a free kick sort of just over midfield on the right hand side, and then it's the classic thing where everybody's lined up like it's just going to be a big ball crossed in, mm-hmm. right? So it's uh, Macarthur. He's ready to cross it in. Arsenal do the classic thing where they um, they're all lined up at the top of the eighteen. Crystal Palace are lined up on top of the eighteen. So the ball's coming in. Someone's going to either head it away or head it at goal, right? That's the, the classic thing. Instead, Max Meyer is out on the right, and Macarthur plays it down the line to Max Meyer. So they've changed the angle of where the cross is coming in by I don't know angle so I'm going to say a lot <laughs> so instead of it coming from deep it's going to come from almost at the uh, at yeah. the touchline right mm-hmm. at the end line so that's why when that ball comes in from Max Meyer it's not even a good cross but that's why Arsenal looks so confused it's not because like they're, they're clownish defenders it's because the angle has changed completely and now nobody knows who's supposed to mark whom and they're all they're all dropping deep and some are stepping forward that's why they can't deal with it when it comes in because it's a low cross as well that helped well done yes exactly yeah and because yeah. low cross that helped that was going to be my point but Ryan's and then Ryan, <laughs> uh, everything Daryl just said, you actually did have in your notes this time, right? You had the same thing about Crystal Palace's goal? Yeah, but mine, mine sounded more intelligent, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we're saying Crystal Palace kind of continue to do what they, they have been doing. Yeah. Mid-table is solid for them. They're like the demilitarized zone, right? They're just right yeah. in the middle. They don't <laughs> go too far one way or too far the other way. Perfect. They're fine. Daryl yeah. knows, I'm sure Ryan has heard before, uh, my love of celebrations and how I tend to read too much into celebrations. But I will say, like in pondering where Crystal Palace are right now when they score the equalizer Roy Hodgson's reaction was that as though that was like the first goal he had seen his team <laughs> score he was so just like happily pleased like oh we did it yes yay and that just right there I was like okay so he's still into it he's still having a good when time when I get to Uncle Roy's age I want to have that attitude right? to life still he's still delighted by everything he really is I love it <laughs> that's the word thank you yeah. yeah he looked absolutely delighted by the fact that his team had scored a mm. thing that you would ex- assume they do fairly regularly yeah. so well done Palace like, well oh, done Uncle Roy oh the Premier League's great Right, Can I jump in with one more question here? You may. If, we, if we're going to put Palace in the demilitarized militarized zone in the middle of the table, do we put Arsenal there too? Hmm. Yeah, but they're trying to get out of it. Yeah. <laughs> are they? I think maybe they parachuted into the demilitarized zone yeah. and are frantically trying <laughs> to find a way out. They're meant to land in enemy territory to mount an attack, but they've landed in the demilitarized zone. Uh, right, to sort of sincerely answer your question I think this season yeah that's probably where they are that you're not going to push for Champions League maybe you push for Europa League but even then historically Arsenal don't really want to be in the Europa League yeah. it is where they've done okay but I, I think that's probably what they're okay with is sort of stabilizing yeah. figuring out what's going to work for them figuring out who will and who won't work and then move some players on in January maybe bring some players in but look towards really strengthening in the summer and build the team that Mikel Arteta wants but get the kind of core squad together right now to be able to play together next season no, at the very least, they're not. Granite Zach is going to the way out of the demilitarized zone. That's the idea. Yes. <laughs> and then they're not in the demilitarized zone. Is that where you're going? <laughs> yeah, exactly. His joke is better. Okay. So I'm going to just let it. His joke is better. Um, let's talk a little more. A, a little more. Let's move to Spain, shall Ooh. we? Even though the first game we're going to talk about was not in Spain. It was in Saudi Arabia. It's the British dream, right, Ryan? To move to Spain. <laughs> Very <laughs> much so. And then refuse to wear sunscreen for some reason? That, that is what your people do, right? They eat egg and chips and refuse to speak Spanish. <laughs> There's what, what's the what's the movie I'm thinking of when uh, sexy beast. Who does the, who, what's that sexy beast? Yes, that's the one. Yeah. <laughs> yes, that's the one I'm thinking of. Where right away. Your people just love Spain and the sun. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> I think skin cancer as well. Yeah. Um, but that said, this game was, I believe, not played in Spain. Oh, true. Daryl, why were Real Madrid and Atletico Madrid playing in Saudi Arabia? All right. So it's the Supercopa de España, mm-hmm. which is you know, kind of like the Everyone's commu- favorite competition. Community Shield, mm-hmm. which traditionally has been the way they do it in other countries, a preseason mm-hmm. game where the, the league winner plays the cup winner. It's like the season opener, but it's half a friendly. Um, someone in Saudi Arabia has paid, paid the Spanish football 
Federation 120 million euros mm-hmm. um, to move the Supercopa de España to January um, to have four teams in it. So it's the two Copa del Rey finalists and then the two highest league finishers um, and make it a four-team tournament um, to entertain the, the people of Saudi Arabia. And normally I would – like I didn't really even have this in the running order for the show. Initially then Federico Valverde did what he did and I was like, all right, we probably have to talk yeah. about it. But the more I thought about it last night and the way Real Madrid, who won the game on penalty shootout, the way they reacted was genuinely as though they had won a legitimate like big piece of silverware. I was really surprised by this. And and I think on the one hand it is just kind of like in a season that hasn't necessarily been the way they thought it was going to be that to win some silverware is probably pretty exciting. But also my question for you both is – with a made-up tournament that is well, not made up, but like adjusted tournament to yeah, fit yeah. what Saudi Arabia probably wanted, but when that tournament is filled with four teams who are uh, Real Madrid, Atletico Madrid, Barcelona, and Valencia, they're all playing strong soccer. They're playing their starting elevens. Like, is it that much of a friendly at that point, or do you think it actually is sort of a big result to get that win when you have those f- four teams of that stature competing I think uh, in one venue? There was a lot at stake here. Uh, sorry, I've said that wrong. There was a lot of money at stake here. Um, Real Madrid. And- <laughs> Barcelona were both guaranteed seven and a half million dollars just for participating. And to be fair, they've both said they're going to de- 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 you know spend that money on uh, women's soccer and community projects. Now, nah, just joking, they're just going to buy Bugattis. Um, oh, so I, maybe, man, you tricked me. I believed it. <laughs> maybe <laughs> they, maybe they're, they were all motivated because they got a nice little bonus out of this one. That's that's the cynical me saying that. That could be. That could be. I did enjoy Thibaut Courtois really feeling himself after the penalty shootout. I, th- I think I saw that quote from him where he was saying, like, I came here to make Madrid even bigger than they are. It's like, all right, settle down, Thibaut. Yeah. <laughs> like, we all know Kelo Navas was better. Yeah, we, yeah. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Shots <laughs> fired from Daryl. Um, w- Daryl, yes? I will, I will say also, this is part of a, a La Liga thing, right? We've all known here in the US that they keep trying to have this La Liga um, actual league match, uh, like a Premier League game 39, to be played mm. in the US, probably in Miami. I think La Liga is really trying hard to, on one hand, market itself to um, foreign audiences and try and compete with the Premier League in terms of international exposure. And on the other hand, trying really hard to just cash in and grab as much money from emerging soccer markets as possible. Mm-hmm. And I, like, I'm normally not cynical about new competitions and tweaks to competitions. I, I find it hard not to be cynical about expanding the uh, the Supercopa and playing it in Saudi Arabia. Would it help you to know that this is not the first Supercopa to have been played in Saudi Arabia in the last month? Is that right? The Supercopa d'Italia yeah, also Italian played one, in yeah. Saudi that Arabia. Right? Okay. Mm-hmm. So I do think it is it is a shift towards where these things are going. When the Community Shield is played in Saudi Arabia, we'll know for sure that that is sort of the direction we're heading. Oh, the only reason that won't happen is they're still trying to pay off Wembley. Well, that, that too. <laughs> well, the name is Wembley to Saudi Arabia. That, then, that's then it, yeah. Yeah. Piece by piece. I feel like that might be the offer that Saudi Arabia would make. It's just like, we'll pay off Wembley, play that Community Shield here yeah, for the right? next 10 years or so. And yeah. that's probably something they could do with very, very, very little problem. Um, in terms of the game itself, oh, yeah. uh, it was, what, nil-nil through extra time. We go to the penalty shootout thoughts on the penalty shootout but first we got to talk about how we got to that shootout because in what the 118th minute thereabout something like that uh in in extra time Federico Valverde makes a heroic or dastardly challenge depending on your perspective or both if you're (laughs) Daryl Ryan where are you on this one worth noting uh Federico Valverde who had a fairly laughable miss earlier in the game he headed into his own knee rather than into a fairly open goal um he gets voted man of the match I'm going to assume primarily for what happened in these dying moments, uh, I feel like I feel like we should describe it because most people probably won't have seen exactly. That is probably what happened good. Daryl, right? describe it and then Ryan, tell us your thoughts. Okay. Oh, yeah. good, good hosting. All right. So it's Morata. <laughs> it's Morata. <laughs> Alvaro Morata is through on goal. Yeah. Right. He is running at Thibaut Courtois. As you said, it was 118th, 119th mm-hmm. minute. It's going to be possibly the match winner. Um, and then Valverde basically figures out. All right. It's outside the area. I'm not going to give away a penalty. I can just swipe this guy's legs from under him. I'll probably get a red card, but they're just going to get a free kick 40-yard yards from goal, which is nowhere near as bad as a penalty and nowhere near as bad as a one-on-one against Thibaut right. Courtois because, again, he's not Kelo Navas. Um, so <laughs> Federico Valverde just slide tackles into the back of mm-hmm. Alvaro Morata. He really makes the most of it in terms of violence. You, you think so? Because I felt like in watching... He could have just pulled him back, right? He really just I'm not sure he thought he could catch him. I think oh, he was worried that if he pulled him back, it, you always run that risk of you go for the jersey pull and then yeah. if it doesn't work, they just keep going I and see, now yeah. you haven't done your job. I, I watched him and it seemed like he was trying to find a way to do it that wasn't 
so vicious that it was going to break a leg. Like, I think he was trying to clip just one leg gently. In the yeah. end, he does make a lot of contact. <laughs> he did a- apologize to Overall Morata and was sort of, I appreciated his response afterward. He was like, I know I'm getting a red card. And then when people got in his face, he was like, what? You know what I was doing. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think that was a good challenge. Yep. I'm not an idiot. I'm trying to make sure my team wins. And that was the best way I could do it. I'll say this. He's Uruguayan, right? Mm-hmm. Uruguayan's yeah. very good at cost-benefit analysis. You, you're talking about Suarez? Suarez. This was the Suarez handling the ball on the line for the red card. This is exactly the same yep. thing, wasn't it? I, it I, I would love to think as Valverde was running uh, after Morata and he was thinking, shall I do it or not? And then he saw Corto. I was like, oh no, it's not Kayla Neves. I better do this. <laughs> I, I'd love to think that was part of the process. But it, uh, I, when I first saw this, I was outraged because uh, I thought, you know, this is this is not in the spirit of the game. But everyone else very much took it to be in the spirit of the game, including like both managers, basically. Um, Simeon, Diego, Diego Simeone said, Valverde's red card was the most important moment of the game. I told him not to worry that anyone would have done the same thing in his position. He won the game. And Zidane said, uh, in the end, it is what it is. He did what he had to do. It was an ugly foul, but it had to be done at the time. He did well. And the important thing is that he apologised to Morata because they know each other very well. So, Dan, that's not the important thing. The important <laughs> thing is that he tackled him and got a red card and he won the game. That's the important thing. <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I think, I, I think I wish, Pep Guardiola would have loved it. That's all I'm saying. I wish Simeone's comment had just been like, not enough violence. <laughs> like, <laughs> should have been more blood. <laughs> Any, he said, anyone would have done the same, but I would have done it harder. Yeah. <laughs> I love Simeone. But it's, it's very much, rather than being a, a sort of thing, oh, we shouldn't really talk about that, it's like it's, it's been openly congratulated as being yeah. the right thing to do. And I don't yep. know how I feel about that. Certainly the most successful Valverde of the weekend. Definitely. <laughs> Certainly, yeah. I was confused. We'll talk about Ernesto Valverde. But when d- we came into the studio last night, and Daryl was like, did you see what Valverde did? I was like, oh, did he like throw a fit after getting sacked? Is he been <laughs> sacked? I don't know what's happened. And instead, we were talking about Federico. Before we talk about Barca, I, I do want to say briefly, thumbs up to Rodrigo's penalty in this oh. one. And credit to Tony Cruz for apparently saying, Rodrigo has to take one. Rodrigo has to take one. Demanding that Rodrigo take a penalty. Because he's so good at penalties or because it's a good learning experience? I'm going to guess because he's so good at penalties. Like okay. probably in, in Based training. on the evidence of his penalty. Yes. <laughs> that wasn't a training ground penalty, though, wasn't it? That was the, the one you tried at training ground. and you, uh, Even the, the run-up was amazing. Yep. It sort of did this reverse bow where he sort of ran in one direction and then the other before he hit it. It was fantastic. But but I kept waiting for the annoying stutter step or the weird jump to break up the rhythm, and it was just sort of like, no, once he started going, he was going, and then smashed that ball he did. I was really nervous because I love just a, like a... Not a straightforward run up because that's not what that was, but a sort of like, I know what I'm doing. I'm maybe going to put a little disguise on this, but I'm just going to hit this ball hard. And I was very nervous for a moment that he was going to sky that one outside of the stadium. Mm-hmm. And I think if that goal were like two yards back, that is where that ball ends up. But because it is where it was, and it was a regulation penalty, uh, it is buried and lovely. And I also think in a penalty shootout, when you have that sort of emphatic hit, it does help a lot with the momentum of like, wow, uh, there was no way that goal, like Oblak was going to save that one. They might be in some trouble here. And that is indeed how it went out. So I would say man of the match to Rodrigo for me, uh, and then vice fan of the match is uh, Federico Valverde. That's where I'm going with my award. Emphasis on the vice. Yes, (laughs) emphasis on the vice. As I said, we'll talk... uh, Barcelona in a moment but first I want to go back to Mikel Arteta for a second because I want to talk about today's sponsor Hims. Uh, Hims is a new wellness brand for men. 66% of men start to lose their hair by the age of 35. The problem is once you've noticed it's thinning it can be too late. I find Mikel Arteta to be distracting in post-match interviews because he has the thickest head of hair I have ever <laughs> seen. I, I thought you'd spotted a gap in no, your morning. It, it's ridiculous. Like it, okay. it genuinely, I you could he could say anything. He could be like, "I've sold David Luiz already to aliens in outer space," and I'd be like, yeah, "That's fine. Why is your hair so thick?" And I contrast that with Pep Guardiola, who doesn't really have the thickest of hair. And I feel like if you would rather have a Mikel Arteta as opposed to a Pep Guardiola, then <laughs> Him's hair is here to help you do just that. Um, because they have uh, science, which is a good thing. Uh, they don't have, science. They don't have snake the oils. They don't have gas station <laughs> counter supplements. They have uh, products from licensed physicians, FDA approved to help you treat hair loss. Once again, I will stress, ladies and gents, do not buy your supplements from a gas station. Don't or do that. Or a snake. <laughs> no, if you but, see a snake, don't buy hair. No, no they're snakes, not going to yeah, work. Yeah, they, they, don't their, engage their oil snakes is no in commerce. <laughs> the best way to prevent more hair loss is to do something about it while you still have some pep. It's uh, time to grab, grab this new year by the follicles. Here's to a year of personal growth. On your head! 
On your head. Uh, 4AIMS.com is a one-stop shop for hair loss, skin care, and sexual wellness for men. It's time to write a new chapter, one in which you have hair. Mikel Arteta has already done that. So if you want to be like Mikel Arteta and eventually manage Arsenal with that full head of hair, you can dive into the, into the 2020 hair fight right now, hair first. Right now, our <laughs> listeners can get started with their first month free. Go to 4HIMS.com slash Total Soccer. That's F-O-R-H-I-M-S dot com slash Total Soccer. Uh, Ryan, can you please go ahead and read that description? for us. The, the <coughs> most exciting electrifying part of the copy shall be uh, read slash sung by Ryan Bailey. Prescription requires an online consultation with a physician who will determine if a prescription is appropriate. Offer valid only if prescribed three months minimum for subscription. Additional restrictions apply. See website for details and important safety information. I went a bit Smiths at the end there, sorry. <laughs> Remember, that's forhims.com. Slash total soccer. I feel like I want to go the opposite route of Ryan Bailey, but I should also add, bravo. Yeah. Well done, sir. Well done, Ryan Bailey. Yours was more the four. <laughs> yeah. I've never sung a disclaimer before. That was wonderful. Thank you for that experience. Great hosting again, Taylor. Great I think hosting. We found a, a, new, a new talent for Ryan Bailey and yeah. a potential new lucrative career for Ryan Bailey. <laughs> Sing those disclaimers, my friend. I think we would all pay attention to the medical well, ads a bit more. Ryan, at your next live show, would you do a disclaimer song? <laughs> I would very much like to, because that's very much an American thing, isn't it? You have a, a commercial for a, for a medical product and then two-thirds of the commercial is uh, is the disclaimer so they need, yeah. to, they need to jazz it up this is a very michael sarah centric show because it wasn't that his job in the dr tobias funke good time family band solution was he had to read the medical disclaimer at the end of the song for tima and things like that oh rest development you're terrific uh, a person who barcelona do not think is terrific maybe they think michael sarah is but they certainly do not think ernesto valverde is terrific uh barcelona lost to atletico in that aforementioned made-up tournament uh and as of today... Semi-final, right? They lost the semi-final? Uh, yeah, 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 right. In a four-team tournament, yes, they lost the semi-final. Um, <laughs> they got all the way there, and then it all fell apart. Um, as At time of recording, Ernesto Valverde is still in charge of Barcelona, uh, but like, I think I saw a headline right as we were about to hit record that uh, his stuff had been packed, his office was being packed up, he was going to be saying goodbye tomorrow. Did he pack it, or did someone else pack it for him? The statement was, his office has been packed. I didn't get the impression that he was the one doing the packing. Ryan, have, he's, have, he's going to be like a Merrill Lynch employee in 2008. Yes, he's going to be carrying his sad cardboard box out. I with, think um, it's Luis Suarez was packing the boxes. He's not training at the moment, so that's what he's using it for. <laughs> Ryan, have you been following the, the situation at Barcelona? And if so, uh, what have you made of it? What can you tell our listeners about it? As in very much today, I saw that Guillaume Balaguer was outside uh, the offices with a, with a camera and showing people that Valverde had left, possibly for the last time. And it does seem like some people are reporting he has been fired uh, as, as we say he is this, definitely the second most popular Valverde in Spain mm-hmm. right now a uh, few replacements have been talked about haven't we? We, we we understand that Xavi has turned down the opportunity to return at least at this point in time yep. Ronald Koeman also approached and in third place apparently and this is intriguing Maurizio Pochettino uh, Espanol's Maurizio Pochettino. Yes. Yeah, did you say I'm I'm an Espanol fan? I'm not going to manage Barcelona. He has very he much did. said that, but he did say that when he wasn't unemployed. He did. <laughs> <laughs> he did take a job. I think I saw today with La Liga doing some analysis for them. Uh, so maybe that is why he was back in or in Spain. Uh, but I think there's also a decent chance that yes, he's probably been approached. Barcelona have also spoken to their youth team or their first team coach about potentially taking over short term. Uh, but it's it's a surprising thing that Daryl and I were talking about before we started recording because this is still the Barcelona team that are top of the table they're still in the Champions League they're, they're still the Barcelona champions. yeah they're, they're the champions, champions. The, the man who yeah in that aforementioned cardboard box that uh, Valverde will be carrying out sadly will be a La Liga a La Liga winner's medal she's full of medals like is it strange that we're sort of in this situation where Barcelona's manager who won La Liga last year has them top of the table this year has basically just been asked to go because he's not exciting enough? Is that about the gist of it? Is that pretty much what it is? I have a hard time understanding it. I, I do think Barcelona and Real Madrid have this weird high standard that I personally philosophically disagree with. Mm. Whenever a coach is fired, I'm like, you shouldn't have fired that guy. Mm-hmm. Like, Del Bosque, they fired Del Bosque. And I always, I always disagree. But yet they always are like top two in Spain and Champions League challenges. So There's almost like a weird thing of having this like obscenely high unrealistic mm-hmm. uh, standard that you're asking for and firing people when they don't deserve to be fired maybe is part of what keeps uh, Barcelona and Real Madrid at the top. Keeps everyone yeah. on their toes, doesn't it? I think, I think yeah. the reason is he's, he's still there is because the board understand he has won quite a lot of things and the team is still competitive. But you've got this obviously uh, 
divergent opinion within the, the fans that he's basically been a dead man walking since uh, that loss at Anfield. Yeah, and you yeah, know, underperformed in the Champions League. There's, there's accusations of this team that you know they're not the, the Cruyffian style that Barcelona demand. He doesn't play. Uh, there's been too much reliance on Leo Messi. Some interesting decision making in terms of substitutions. Not reacting well to uh, when things go wrong, and just being a bit boring as well. That's the main thing, isn't it? And that's being a bit boring isn't the reason to lose your job necessarily. But when it starts to affect results, it will. And what I yeah. wonder is with Luis Suarez going out for a little while, whether that injury might force the it might force some changes to be made and some negative um, uh, actions on the field. Oh, I didn't think about that. That makes total sense. That yeah, once you lose lose Luis Suarez, who has been a, an important performer for for Barcelona this season, Ryan and I have talked about him a lot. It does then kind of throw to stark contrast the situation within that squad and how you have all of these players, but they still haven't yet come together to play the kind of electrifying soccer we would have expected. It reminds me of Zidane in his first or second season, I think, at Madrid, where they were winning and looked much better than they had in the past, but were still getting all this criticism because he had sort of turned them into a counter-attacking team, and that's not what Real Madrid are supposed yeah. to be. They're supposed to be this progressive, proactive soccer, like, they, attacking team. They won the Champions League that year. And yet, yeah, well, three years in a row, yeah. and yet still, like, there's that sort of, well, is this the way we're supposed to play? I'm not so sure. So, I, I guess that probably is where that kind of consternation was. And then once you Luis, lose Luis Suarez, wow, I can't – you Luis Luis is what I'm just going to stick with, I <laughs> Luis guess. Luis Luis. Yeah, it, maybe that does kind of bring it more to the forefront of like, look, we've got to make something happen now before this season potentially slips away. Yep. I hadn't thought about it like that, and that does then make a little bit more sense, even if I still have a decent amount of sympathy for Ernesto Valverde. I will not have much sympathy for Mauricio Pochettino if he does take that job. It would be outrageous, that. wouldn't it? It would be like, say, like George Graham – being manager of both Arsenal and Tottenham, it'll just never happen. <laughs> <laughs> the one that um, uh, uh, Tifo Football, the Sensible Transfers episode, they sort of brought about the idea, brought up the idea of Pep Guardiola returning to Barcelona, and that was genuinely not a thing that I have had ever considered would happen of him going back there. It does make sense, but I still feel like to leave Man City. At this point of the season, yeah. like maybe this summer would have been more realistic. But even then, I think like it would be take a lot to pull Pep Guardiola away from no, City right now. I, I have no data to back this up and mm-hmm. no sources to back this up. But I get the feeling that Guardiola is probably quite excited at the prospect of rebuilding that Man City side. Having his sort of Guardiola Man City 2.0. Ryan, you're the Guardiola whisperer. Tell us things. I think, I think going back to... If it, Pep Guardiola went back to Barcelona right now, it would be like making another American Pie movie in 2020. Why, we don't need a reboot. <laughs> why, why not just leave it where it was? So it'd be like Dumb and Dumber 2. Dumb and Dumber 2, that's a better analogy. There's a very <laughs> decent chance that we are going to get another American Pie. I have, I have a feeling now that you've mentioned that. To be fair, they right, might not stop making them. I think Jim's dad has still been able to every single one of them as well. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy, let's, let's move away from that uh, potentially horrific topic. And instead, let's talk about uh, Italy for a moment. Uh, we've got two games to discuss. Uh, there wasn't like so much action from either one of these games. Lesso Lazio Napoli, which finish, finishes 1-0 to Lazio. But there was a goal. There was a goal. And I said in the notes here that like basically if there is an allegation of max, match fixing this season, I'm looking at that goal as a good example. <laughs> uh, not really that, that way, but it was just sort of a an absurd goal from start to finish. Talk Darryl, through, Tyler. So it's essentially... The, you, the, were you about to ask me to talk yeah, yeah, I mean, you, you've been a, a good descriptor so far. <laughs> I will say uh, it ends with... Uh, who's uh, uh, Chiro Immobile? Uh, I was focused on his celebrations as well. I love yep. the crowd screaming Immobile over and over and over again. Uh, but he scores the goal. It's from a very tight angle. It's very well hit, but it's how he gets the ball and then how the ball ends up in the back of the net that are particularly interesting. So it's our old friend David Aspina, yeah. um, who is he's no kind of goal. Uh, he's no kind of nervous. He receives the ball. Immobile goes to sort of close him down. Mm-hmm. Ospina tries to go past him. Immobile tackles him. And then from the, after, after he tackles him from the tight angle, he sort of turns and bends it in. Di Lorenzo is on the line and it looks like he's going to be able to, you know, just get his uh, instep and, and clear it. But it bounces off of his shin or knee or something and goes in the back of the net. Yeah. So the, exci- the, really <laughs> the exciting part for me here is Ospina has a plan. I think he knows what he's doing, the goalkeeper. Um, he's waiting for Immobile to, to come and charge at him. And you can see in, in his body movement, in his eyes, everything about him says, I'm going to pull off a Cruyff turn. Yep. Right? And he's waiting for Immobile to... <laughs> That's the problem, is that it was that readable. It was really yeah. readable, right? It's almost like he's not an outfield player. Um, Immobile <laughs> can sort of read that the Cruyff turn is coming. So as Immobile charges Ospina, he does this very clever thing of, I'm going to call it stopping short. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <He's>, <laughs> as he arrives, he just pauses a little second. So then Ospina begins the Cruyff turn. He's like, 
oh no, he hasn't bought it. He's going to get me. And then he's just frozen. He's stuck. He's in, he's in real trouble. This might be the sequel to Frozen. Is David Aspina. Um, and then he tries to sort of accelerate away from Immobile. And Immobile's like, nope, steps in, takes the ball. And I'm really impressed with how he manages to turn and hit this on target. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm very impressed that you managed to work in two different pop culture references, one from the 90s, one from very recently. Yeah. But I would agree with you that you shouldn't ever stop short. That is Frank Costanza's move. There he go. has it patented. Um, I, but so Ospina obviously does not do very well. Immobile does really, really well here because I think whenever you have contact with a goalkeeper, the referee always, I think, tends to be very favorable yeah, yeah. towards the goalkeeper, tends to give that as a foul. So that Immobile comes away so with the ball. It's basketball rules. Yeah, it is. It's really like, <laughs> oh, you poor lamb. We can't have you be touched. Uh-huh. Uh, but instead, Immobile does well enough to put Ospina under pressure, but doesn't go over the top physical, so then there's no foul. But then to kind of swivel and hit from such a tight angle and put it on frame, mm-hmm. it is walloped into the back of the net. I think it probably could have been cleared. It wasn't quite that desperation of a moment, but instead it's just lasered in there, which then did me, like, had me wondering why were they crediting Immobile with a goal. It's on obviously target. an own goal until I remembered it's on target. Yeah, it yeah. on target. So it's not an own goal. Instead, it's a goal that he didn't score, but he still scored, yeah. and I like it. In like uh, he's, he's very impressive when he's not wearing a yellow shirt in Germany. I think it's what we can take from this. But it's, <laughs> it seems uh, to be the case. Lazio doing very well as, as well. Ten straight league wins here. Uh, and I think they had a pretty poor record against Napoli going into this one as well. But in terms of Gattuso's team here, though, I've got a question to ask you. Because they, they seem a little bit fragile defensively, mm-hmm. although they're doing some nice passing and breaking up play. Are they the Arsenal of Italy? <laughs> I haven't seen enough of them to uh, to say yes or no, but I think the way you asked the question leads me to say yes. I was, it was a very leading question. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there are a lot of parallels there because it's a manager who came in who is not famous for build, like both had a manager who came in not famous for building a team, but for sort of taking the pieces that are there and getting them to play really well together. Mm-hmm. Not like a manager, but more so a coach. Uh, but then that did not work. Now they've brought in. Not, I guess for Napoli, not a club legend, but a league legend is what you could go with with Gattuso and then Arteta at Arsenal, but still have lots of pieces from different managers of the past that have to be kind of figured out and put together into one unit. And thus far, they haven't looked like a cohesive unit. They have better attacking pieces than maybe defensive pieces. Yeah, Ryan, I think I think it, it checks a lot of boxes. Narrative, it definitely does. hashtag narrative. I did it. <laughs> Thank you very much. Um, um, the other narrative, I think, right now for Serie A would be that Inter Milan drew with Atalanta 1-1 to this weekend, which means they remain second. Juve extend their lead at the top of the table, but Lazio, with that 10-game winning streak, I believe are now six points behind uh, Juve, but have a game in hand. So the Lazio-Juve game that will be happening later on this season is going to be very, very exciting mm. to watch. Uh, uh, but with that in mind, let's talk a little bit more about Juventus for a moment. They had Roma this weekend. Away to Roma, Juve with a 2-1 to win. Um, from what you gentlemen were like, were able to see from this one, there were moments when there were some thoughts earlier in the season about like, what is Sarri doing with Ronaldo? Is he usually is he utilizing him to like the best of his ability? Ronaldo maybe wasn't in like the best of form very briefly. Now since the re- like the return from winter break, four goals in two games, but had been firing prior to that. Two of those are penalties. Hey, you got to score him, baby. Ronaldo, you got to score him. You got to score him. Um, how, Daryl? What have you seen from Ronaldo? At least in this game, how do you feel like Sarri is yeah. utilizing Ronaldo? So my my sort of data set here mm. is I watched uh, this game, yep. Juventus, and I went back and watched Juve's. I want to say four 0 win over Cagliari yep. to see how uh, Ronaldo's being used. Yep. Um, Sarri is going with a four three one two, and he's essentially got like two. I'd call them like wide split strikers, and it's mm. always Ronaldo on the left, and in the last couple of games, it's been DiBala on the right. Sometimes it's Higuain, sometimes it's Douglas Costa, but it's essentially like two uh, wide forwards so that Ronaldo gets to be a striker. Um, he can go wide, he can come central, but he has that whole left side to play with and he can drift all the way across to the other side if he wants. And I think it's the perfect balance. of He doesn't have to play centre forward and get whacked by centre backs all day. He doesn't have to do any hold up play. He doesn't have to pin himself out on the left wing. Mm. He doesn't have to like hug the touchline. He can really drift wherever he wants around that left side in the 4-3-1-2. And then obviously there's someone on the other side to balance him. Dybala's not a bad player to have worrying opposition over on the other side. And then if they both end up going too wide, as they, they may do, right, you've got Aaron Ramsey bursting through the middle. So I think Sarri has a really nice setup that is designed to get the best out of this current version of Cristiano Ronaldo. Yeah, I, I, was... I, I definitely agree with that as well. And I think the main difference is, if you look at this game and the, and the Cagliari one as well, it is Ramsey instead of Higuain in that front mm. three, essentially. And I think that having the two up front there with Ronaldo and Dybala suits Dybala a lot more as well, where he can go a bit yeah. more central. 
And it seems like he's found a way, because there was a, a worry that Dybala was getting yeah. um, elbowed out and Ronaldo was the main attraction. There wasn't really a role for Dybala. This seems like it's found a nice balance of how to get the best out of both. Yeah, I mean, It's almost like Sarri's a good coach. It's almost, that's what I was going to say. Is like It really is a credit to him, especially after like the way it ended with Chelsea. It's easy to forget that it was actually a very successful season that Sarri had with yeah. Chelsea in his first year. And now, yeah, to get Ronaldo like high-flying scoring goals, looking very happy, looking very confident, but then to have like brought Dybala back in, to have a team in which Aaron Ramsey looks like he absolutely belongs at Juventus. Mm. Not to say that he doesn't, but it's just a weird moment of like, oh right, Ronaldo and Aaron Ramsey. Yeah. They are a weird That's team. That's not because Aaron Ramsey's not a great, great No, I mean, it's right? because they're very good at signing players on a free. It's yeah. more just like seeing British people in Italy is yeah. weird. Also that. Also <laughs> that. Yeah, in the same way that seeing uh, Kieran Trippier uh, score score in a penalty shootout, I was like, oh, please don't be the Englishman who, yeah. who misses this one for Atleti. <laughs> he did not. He buried oh, his. Oh, that narrative's over. That narrative's been <laughs> over since 2018. Sure. Sure, sure, sure. It wasn't sure. weird well, seeing Trippier put the free kick into the wall, though, from that red card. <laughs> <laughs> that was not. Um, in terms of traditions that are not yet over, it does feel like Roma's tradition of having tons of shots but not converting any of them uh, seems to be continuing. Ryan, what did you make of Roma in this one? We've talked a bit about Juve. Let's hear about Roma. Yeah, pretty bad day for them in general, wasn't it? They had, the tw- they, look, they had 22 shots, six of which were on target. They had 13 corners in this game, yet they only get one goal from a penalty. Um, it just seems like the, the end product isn't, enough, uh, isn't good enough mm. in this team. It's been the same story in recent weeks for them as well and uh, the, 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 the worst thing about this game was Zaniolo going off though he had a lovely little run in this game that, uh, and then he got taken down by it was Rabio, wasn't it and he's, um, mm-hmm. he's done his ACL which is a big shame because he's such a good talent as well and we saw him um, there was a picture um, that went on Instagram of sort of Ronaldo ruffling his hair to giving him a there there as he went off in pain which was kind of sad to look at as well so yeah a, a, a bad day for Roma definitely Ryan, my other question for you from this game is: You've got a Roma team that have have injuries. They have like get they get good chances. They don't score them. They look a little bit uh, like suspect at the back at times. Is it fair to say that Roma are the new Italian <laughs> Arsenal and the old <laughs> Italian Napoli? I guess everyone is Arsenal. That's my answer. <laughs> everyone is Arsenal now. Um, <laughs> can we say, by the way, about the the Winter Champions concept, which I think sorry is dismissed quite a bit because with this win, Juventus become the Winter Champions. And a little uh, stat from Nicky Bandini in the Guardian: Since CRX, Serie A expanded to twenty teams in 2004 the winter champions have only twice failed to push on and win it uh the two exceptions the two teams who didn't win it sorry's napoli Oh boy! Oh, no. oh boy! I, I don't think Sarri's Napoli had quite the depth of talent that Juve have. <laughs> so right. I'm going to say that maybe past won't be precedent here. But we shall see. We'll obviously keep talking about Italy, about Spain, about England as we do more weekend reviews to round up the season. But right now, I debuted earlier the new feature, uh, the Klopp Cl- hug recipient of the week. I'm going to debut a new feature. It's going to be called "Anything Else with Ryan Bailey." Ryan Bailey, anything else? Uh, we should probably be remiss not to even mention the uh, El Cachico, which happened uh, uh-huh. in La Liga at the weekend PSG against Monaco I was predicting very much a PSG walkover in this one they won the last nine uh, meetings with Monaco in a row it was 3-3 it was a bonkers game it was very very entertaining Neymar was on good form he took a penalty by the way which was the anti-Rodrigo because he did the little rabbit hops all the way to the of ball course, basically it was quite it was quite annoying uh, it was <laughs> but it, it was it was, a, it was such an entertaining game because it was the game that defending forgot there was there was a moment I think when Golovan for, for Monaco Monaco had a shot that was inside the box and Paris Saint-Germain had four players on the line. They were very deep in their own box. It was it was interesting to watch. Uh, but uh, you'll get another chance because they're playing each other again in the league on Wednesday. What? All yeah. right. That's exciting times. <laughs> That's exciting times. I, I, I'm, I will try to pay more attention to that. Even though Daryl and I are driving to uh, Baltimore for the United Soccer Coaches Convention on Wednesday, I would like to watch Monaco because we did our transfer, like who should people sign, which players should be of interest. And looking at Monaco, there is no reason for them to be where they are on the table as bad as they have been this season. Mm. Yes, they've uh, fired uh, Jardim again, but they have so much talent there. I'm not surprised to see a 3-3 draw. I won't be surprised if they push on and have a stronger season. But that they are where they are is slightly shocking to me yeah Islam Slimani he's had a good game as well by the way Leicester's a did he Leicester's very own alright I saw a few <laughs> highlights like of a different player I was watching uh, for the show that we did yesterday uh, and it featured Islam Slimani tripping on the ball twice off camera and I was like that's not great that's not great um, he's a mixed bag. Ryan did you did you enjoy the 3-3 draw more or did you enjoy Zlatan Ibrahimovic scoring more uh, the 3-3 draw <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, is that all we should say? Should we just say Zlatan did score for AC Milan? He opened, he reopened his AC Milan account, I should say. He did indeed, yeah. Uh, he had a, 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 in the game against Cagliari, um, he, it was his second full debut for Milan and he scored, of course. He had a disallowed goal as well, which was a, a header which was disallowed for offside, but his, his goal was a, a, a little, uh, t- first touch cross from the right. Very nice for him. Isn't that did wonderful? Anyone see- did anyone see Matt Doyle's tweet? No. Uh, you know how Matt Doyle likes to troll occasionally? Yeah. Um, he said... Oh, yeah, I can, wait, can I take a guess? Yeah. Did he say something like Zlatan learned how to do this in Major League Soccer? It was better than that. Okay. It was, uh, yeah, pretty nice, but he won't do anything in the postseason. <laughs> <laughs> I love Matt Doyle. What I do not love is the story that came out today that uh, Zlatan, I guess, is considering uh, pairing up with Mino Raiola to become an agent after he retires oh, from yes. professional soccer. The two of them together is what nightmares are made of. And I, <laughs> I cannot unsubscribe to that from that partnership fast enough. I'm already writing the movie in my head. Negotiating with Zlatan? I, I, I don't even know how it would go. Because it would just be like, would he... But this is genuinely where I was with this. And this is where I, I kind of, I went back and forth and I just ended up giving up. It's like, would he be good because he's so arrogant and does not care about people that he would just be like, no, I'm not doing that. Or would he be like, you're right. My client's not good enough. He's nowhere near as good as I was. We'll take a hundred thousand less. See, I actually think Zatan's probably a much nicer person than everybody thinks. I think true. he's got a persona that mm-hmm. he presents to the world. Yeah. But I think he could find an agent persona that's quite intimidating. His new, his right. new catchphrase you know is going to be lions don't take 12%. They take 15 <laughs> <laughs> so you're saying he's a Gordon Ramsay type yes. go with, yeah, who is yeah. apparently an angel and a darling in every other setting except for that TV show and yes. maybe sometimes in one of his kitchens there we go alright yeah, so don't, and, uh, we, to be fair we've never seen Zlatan in the kitchen he may very well be just like Gordon Ramsay we'll he have to wait be. and see what happens yeah. there uh, we'll, and if that does happen we'll add it to the anything else with Ryan Bailey segment of the show <laughs> anything else from Daryl Grove that's the follow up segment I've got just one thing what's that late equalizer for Derby County mm. by Dwayne Octavius Holmes. If you haven't seen it, take a look. It's, it's a, a volley from the top of the box. And it, yeah, but did you say banger? Yeah, it's mm. definitely a banger. And it was kept low. I love a volley that stays low. And you know, I love when Dwayne Holmes does um, anything exceptional. I hope Greg Berhalter or Brian McBride, new general mm. manager of the US Men's National Team, I hope they get to see that video. Daryl, I had uh, our, our friend Pav, I tweeted this, like asked why you like uh, Dwayne Octavius Holmes so much. He didn't use the last name, which, uh, you know, audacious right you know there. I mean? um, but like, for people who are new to the show or have not yet heard you talk about Dwayne Octavius Holmes, I don't know how they would have missed it. But if anyone <laughs> has, what is it that you enjoy so much about him? Why do you find yourself watching Derby County to see if Dwayne Holmes did anything? He's got like an energy and a dynamism. Um, like he'll you know just chase people down, win the ball back. When he's got the ball, he looks so alert and alive, like quick one-twos and not afraid to drive and dribble at people but not in a not in an irresponsible kind of way I just think he's got a lot of things that the US midfield has been lacking right. um, so I just think he'd be a very good fit for US midfield and to Pav's point I know Pav as well he's a friend of mine I know Pav is from Huddersfield I know Pav supports Huddersfield Town mm-hmm. Dwayne Octavius Holmes was at Huddersfield, what, 2013 to 2016? I definitely didn't look that up. Uh, (laughs) And they weren't the best years of his career, right? Basically, he's blossomed since leaving Yorkshire. All right. Uh, As I believe you suggested, most people tend to do. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I was kind of joking, but yeah. (laughs) And that was off air, but I'm glad I brought it on air. Um, I think... I'm saying Pab's a very good footballer now. Apparently, he was terrible when he lived in Huddersfield. Yeah, and I think your argument was like he was five foot four and then he left Huddersfield and now he's six foot four. It's a a nutrition issue. (laughs) That's how it works. Ryan, did you have that same experience uh, leaving England? Did you uh, grow a foot and become more tenacious in your defense? I grew up in the South, so I was fine. Okay, okay. <laughs> um, well, I think we have gone plenty long, and whenever we reach the point of the show when we're discussing uh, growth spurts once leaving a city, it means we've gone over an hour, which means it's probably time to end <laughs> the show. All I will say is, uh, Daryl Octavius Grove, thank you very much for joining me today. Right back at you, buddy. Uh, and Ryan Octavius Bailey, thank you very much for once again taking the time to talk all the things from the weekend. Always a pleasure, never an Octavius chore. 